Lock your doors. Close your windows. Turn off the lights. It's time for your ghoulish literary nightmare. This is Illiterate. Starring Evan and Taylor, who mm. read a book this week, and I watched a movie. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. It's nice to have you back. <sighs> I'm out of my willies scared right now, Taylor. <laughs> Evan said he was going to speak in that voice the whole time. Welcome, everyone. This is Illiterate. This week, we are covering scary stories to tell in the dark. Who's it by, Taylor? I don't have the name. It is by me. Alvin Schwartz. This one is a childhood favorite. I know all you guys out there know this. For those that don't, it's this is the time. Get into it. It's really cool. These are books that I grew up uh, my childhood with. I, I had a, a little bit of an older brother who kind of introduced them to me. And he is a, also a special effects makeup artist working in, in Hollywood now. So um, you can see that the the horror elements boiled up early there and kind of... In the uh, Russell house. Uh -huh. Yes, yes, yes. And I so, didn't know too much about this. It's three books, actually. It's a, it's a trilogy. So it was Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which came out in 1981. And then more Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark <laughs> in 1984. And then Scary Stories 3, More Tales to Chill Your Bones in 1991. Yes. So a full thing, 82 stories in total. It's a sequence of shorter stories. Most of them are just a page or two. Not very long. So much fun. So much fun. Aimed at younger readers, which is where the controversy comes in mm -hmm. about this whole series. If you're just coming to this, go and Google this because the artwork is such a point of contention here. The artwork that this was released with has become so famous and, and so revered yeah. um, that it kind of is the linchpin for why it's so popular and why it also is one of the most banned books mm -hmm. all, all over the place. Just because the, the imagery is... It really teeters a line. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's gorgeous stuff, but it teeters a line when you're thinking about it educationally and for children. Um, I can see why there are concerns about it, but ultimately, I think when you look when down to it, they're black and white. But, you know, it's an interesting conversation. It's, yeah, totally so Stephen Gamel, yeah, Stephen Gamel was the artist, and he's illustrated over 60 books now in the children's scene and most of them are not like this but right. he uses a watercolor style like you said it's black and white little toad and frog <laughs> <laughs> yeah little bo peep oh my god <laughs> but so i'll post a link of a youtube video showing his process there's another book it's not for this book but you can see how detailed oh, and how cool. it looks so crazy to try and make these watercolors and how detailed it is but they do lend themselves to very creepy kind of artworks. And so he got involved in this, and this is probably his biggest claim to fame. But the artwork definitely creates a terror. And that's why a lot of people are like, no, kids should not, not yeah. only should they not be reading these stories that have no potential moral and are spooky and creepy, but look at these pictures. Yeah. They're very grotesque and just straight You're up. You're going to horrify some <laughs> yeah. children. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, and to be fair, it does stick with you. Like I, I did experience these as as a as a young child, and you mm -hmm. just showed me a drawing I hadn't seen since being a young child, and I remembered it vividly. Went, yep, that's, <laughs> yep, <huh?"> yeah. <laughs> Um, so, yeah. We should also mention on, on the top, obviously, the movie just came out last Friday, right? Um, which I went and saw last night. Um, so as we go along, I'll be kind of chiming in and comparing and talking uh, about points with that. 
I guess that was a, a good little brief overview, but yeah, let's yeah. get into it. So like I said, there's 82 stories. I'll post a link to an article where they rank all 82 stories, just whatever journalist wanted to say which ones were the best. But if you were like, well, I'm not gonna, never going to read this. <laughs> but if you just want to get a summary of kind of which ones, scroll all the way down to the top 10, and mm-hmm. you can see which are the ones that most people are talking about. And they are probably also the ones which are in the movie. Because the movie, if you Definitely. can frame it a little bit for us, takes one of the stories and turns it into a larger narrative. Yes. And then they intersperse the spooky moments as certain of the classic they, top short they stories. They take one of the, I think it's the last story in the first book called The Haunted House or something to that effect. And they, they change it a little bit. That becomes the umbrella for the whole film. It's that a woman was, was wrongfully killed by her family and it was covered up. And so now she's taking it out through these stories. It was like she was locked up by herself for her whole life and all she had was mm-hmm. writing and stories and all that kind of stuff. So now these kids break into this uh, house to, you know, uh, screw around, just doing kid stuff, pretty innocent. And they happen upon her little room downstairs and find the book, wake up the spirit. And this basically what amounts to a, a shadow is like looming over them and following them and the town for the mm-hmm. rest of the, of the movie. But uh, she opens up the book and the book starts writing new stories involving people she now knows, like uh, names like Tommy and Augustus and all this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's happening live. So they're watching it being written right in front of them. And so those stories will be smaller variations on the exact same stories in the book. And you can see when they flip through, there's plenty of them that are taken directly out of the book. Kinda, yep. Yeah. I guess the big thing that then comes about that the movie might do or might not do is create the controversy that the books brought about, which is, is this for kids? Is it not for kids? Right. What's going on? Yeah, with this? this doesn't this doesn't really like lean up against that the rating uh, too hard. <laughs> like it's squarely PG-13, but I, I mean, I do want to say I, I was pretty impressed just tonally by it. It didn't feel PG-13. There didn't feel like a lot of moments where they were holding it back. Everything they were showing you felt contextually correct for, you know, what was happening. This, and maybe the, it's also just the matter of we've moved as a society into being a little bit less stifled in the media that we present to our kids. And so when this came out in the 80s, as a book right. and is in school libraries and kids are picking it up and being terrified. And and you get one image and your mind gets to run wild with it. Whereas mm-hmm. a movie, it's much more pinned down and, and the filmmakers are showing you image by image what, you know, what is the reality. So yeah. it's, it's a bit, you, you know, you don't get to run totally wild with your imagination. Right. Though I think leaning on the PG-13 side, they, in, when it comes to the gruesomeness, they leave that room for the imagination right. to help make this scarier than it really is, which is like really leaning into the strengths of the book. And so, yeah, exactly. That's what the book does really, really well is this Alvin Schwartz guy. He started out as a journalist. Uh, he was writing for the Binghampton Press from 51 to 55 and then moved and started writing for a research or working for a research corporation, rather hated it got into children's writing and he'd written other books that were more goofy and silly and, you know, Mm -hmm. books like how to be a father, how to fly a kite, catch a fish, grow a flower, (laughs) other activities to do with your child. Being human. Little little silly. Being a human child. (laughs) Little silly wisecrack joke books, stuff like that. Not a bad guy, has several children. And so when you look at him, it's like, oh, is he trying to be a weird Stephen King for kids? Not Hmm. really. He imbues it with the same energy that he brought to his other books for kids, Mm -hmm. but took the horror angle. He just Um, went hard on genre. Yeah, exactly. And so you got to teach him genre somehow. Yeah, and this is how this is how you institute the the just what is inherent about genre. Mm -hmm. I mean, like yeah, like like you said with the movie. 
In relation to the book and the ambiguity, the stories are only a page or two in length, and he keeps them relatively vague. It's very simple language. I looked up and in the Lexile scale, which is what you use yes. for yeah. how, I don't know, what grade you have to be to read. This Beyonce's is a, lyrics are fifth grade level, I and think. And this is also Beyonce's lyrics. This is right at a fifth grade level. There we go. Um, it's Beyonce level, y'all. <laughs> Yeah, it's not Bernie Sanders level. He's like 11th grade in his speeches. Yeah, Uh, But anyway, so it's the same thing where you're reading it and it's like a man is walking down the lane. It could be Victorian England. It could be your suburb. But you fill in all of the gaps for what that is. So the controversy that then comes with the artwork too, with the ambiguity, it is very vague, these amorphous kind of watercolor black and white yeah. shapes and then they're also 99% of the figures just face directly the reader which I didn't realize so the faces are right up in your face they're yeah. staring at yeah. you on the page and that's the way that he's drawn them there was a big controversy with the artwork because they re-released it the books as a treasury in 2011 no boo boo yeah <laughs> I was on that train and like, they how dare you how they, dare you it's the whole it's like it, it is these books would have just been forgotten and nobody would have even read them had mm-hmm. the, had it not been paired with this amazing artwork. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that the that the that it doesn't have literary value. It obviously does, but it, it is the artwork that has propelled this and kept this in the spotlight mm-hmm. the entire time. And so to re-release it and change it, do you even know what you're doing? You feel bad for the guy who redrew because the drawings that he's drawn are just as beautiful. But like yeah, I said, absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's fair. That is fair. I mean, it's just very, it's just very. If silly. those had been the original drawings, no one would be talking about this. Yeah. It was they're just not challenging. Not because that they're, they're not had, good. Yeah. Yeah. There had been other compilations of scary stories for kids before. Right. Notably, probably not as graphic, but like you said, in marriage with the artwork creates an entirely different experience yes. for kids. But I'll post a link to an article that I read where they side-by-side side compare the different pieces of artwork from various stories. And you can see, like I said, how this guy draws the two people walking down the lane, and it's clearly Victorian men in top hats, and they're off in the distance. Right. And you're no longer scared because you're removed it's from it. You're like, I don't know. I'm a yeah. seventeen-year-old. I don't oh, care. London, about... 1700. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But again, going back to the controversy, the thing that came about was it was the number one most challenged, meaning not like we said, fifth grade Beyonce level, but challenged, meaning people wanted it banned from schools. There was mm-hmm. arguments to have it removed for the, all of the nineties from 90 to 99. It was on the number one spot of challenge. We books. had them. Oh, we had them. Oh, yeah, we had them. Yeah. <laughs> my, I, actually, I was talking to my mom about this last week. She has no recollection of buying them. Wow. I actually have no idea how they came into our possession. Just I, as spooky. I went as far to show her the artwork, show her the covers. Mm-hmm. I was texting this whole conversation. I'm like, Mom, how have you never seen these books? <laughs> you know what your sons do for a living now. Like, yeah. <laughs> Wait, but but you didn't buy them? We know (laughs) dad didn't buy them. Who bought these books, mom? (laughs) <laughs> the lady on page 16, that's who bought them, with the hole in her face. She, she, uh, we, we kind of chuckled about it, and she's like, well, he probably just bought them, brought them home from school or something. <laughs> Stole them from the, the yeah, library. Probably, yeah. <laughs> and then there was no controversy. Nobody had to write in. They're like, oh, they must have removed the books. No, Evan stole them and brought them home. <laughs> I'm perpetuating the allure of the, look, they're gone from the library. <laughs> <laughs> See, the man yes. got us. But the thing that happened with 
the book's being taken away is that this Schwartz guy, Alvin Schwartz, the guy who wrote it, he died in 1992. So like I said, the last book came out in 91. So he got to see a little bit of the backlash, but all of it being on the number one most challenged was in the 90s. Right. So he didn't even really get to mm. see the repercussions of his books being challenged to the degree that they have, mm. which is also kind of interesting to me that he knew yeah. that that was coming about. But really, you can also point the finger easier at a guy who's dead who can't defend himself and defend his work against saying yeah. like, hey, no, 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 this is good for kids. This is having them, yeah. yeah, you know, it gets them interested in reading. It gets them to learn more about themselves. Yeah, the book has fear. no defense It's not actually, There's yeah. no defender who's standing up and being like, well, this is what the book actually is because he yeah. knows it better than the other. The American Library Association. <laughs> the only people yeah. that stood up for it. But yeah, the, the... Thank you, American Library Association. Thank you. Yeah, for, for keeping it together. Thank you. The main problems that people had with it was that there's, you know, they say there's no morals to the stories. The bad guys always win. It makes light of death. These kind of classic horror responses. But I think what he was going at, and I read some interviews with him, the idea behind it was not to scare kids. He purposefully had... I mean, there's lots of death in them, but there's not explicitly kids... Dying. And it's more like with... Different in the movie. (laughs) Well, the movie's a little different. But in the movie, like you said, it's ambiguous. There's not so much gore and gruesomeness. In the books themselves, the first maybe four or five stories are called jump stories. And so it's designed for you to read them. And it's got a little like parentheses at the end. And it's like you jump at your the people listening and you say, and it was you. And then you scare yeah, yeah, yeah. your neighbors or whatever. They're designed to be silly and spooky for kids. Because the enemy is us. And it's you. <laughs> exactly. And so it's teaching kids to say like... Yeah, enjoy storytelling, enjoy creating a little bit of fear. Or it's like, you know, I was walking home and there was this guy with really long teeth and he made me really scared and then I ran and then I saw a second guy and there were teeth even longer than him and then the third guy has the longest teeth even longer than the first. And I ran all the way home and locked the door. And that's all the story is. You know, there's no, there's no thing except a maybe a so minor you see the shadow of a, a six foot tall bunny rabbit in the corner. Like you can't see it. But yeah, it's just the shadow, it's the the silhouette mm-hmm. of a massive bunny. <laughs> that's how I wish that story. <laughs> well, that's how some of them end. You know what I mean? It's like exactly. it's not, yeah, absolutely. It's more what can your mind conjure? Absolutely, which and, I've always been more interested in. Perhaps this is it, but. Because I'm, I've always been a horror guy. Obviously, I, was, I say this over and over again. But so when the the horror movie remake craze started in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. I was all about it because I, you know, I was basically two young men. So I remember one of the very first ones that really set it off was the remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It came out in 2003. Mm-hmm. And what I liked about that film is that it hides all of the gore. It really leaves it up to your imagination. It yeah. does. It's not a gore fest. And that is a way that you can go with these stories. Now, that's still an R-rated film, but they're choosing what to show you, what not to show you, when to engage your imagination and when not to. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a child, even, I'm taking notes off of that, of how that actively has my mind working more than if I was just shown the imagery. And I think it relates right back to uh, scary stories. That you the have to do the work. Yeah. You have to be engaged. And it gets you engaged. That I mean, that's a testament to how it's written, is it gets you engaged, but once you are engaged, you paint so much of the color. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't have any. Like It, it, it is so dependent it on also what helps, you bring to it. It helps kids... And these are uh, for the people arguing for these books. It helps kids delineate what is actually truly scary and shocking and horrifying and what is going on as a seven-year-old in real life 
to you, you know, ver- it's like, oh, there's this butcher and he's grinding people up and then somebody finds out because the fat kid goes missing and then the butcher, they don't know what happened, but he's never seen again, but they had really good sausage that night, you know, like leave it up yeah, to the imagination. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. horrifying for a kid. But at the same let, time, you're saying let, like- But you're engaging that, look, they have to put together the pieces. But if you just take what you just said- mm-hmm. You have to do the secondary work there. You have to put together the pieces. You actually have to do it instead of it just being told to you plainly. Um, yeah. that, you know, I wish people would. I know the artwork gets so much attention, but it really is both together that created such a potion, I mm-hmm. think. It, it, it grabs you and it makes you yeah. paint it. It makes you fill in the blanks. I read this because there's been tons of academic journals and things like that on this and how it affects kids and Mm. people are interested in the educational scene, comparing things and asking kids and doing surveys and seeing what is this actually doing. You got to get boots on the ground and figure it out. But I liked this article that I read where this person was interviewing kids and saying kind of what their experience of it was Mm -hmm. in their limited vocabulary and what they know about the world. There's still insight into, just ask the kid, what do you think about it? You know, why do you like it? Why don't you like it? That kind of thing. So Absolutely. There's a, fa- there's a famous story from there called uh, The Green Ribbon or something like that. Mm. And it's one of the – at the end of a lot of the books too, he's like, these are explicitly spooky, but they're supposed to be more funny than spooky. Like there's a right. silly end to it in a way. So there's this woman who has this green band ribbon around her neck mm-hmm. and that's the whole thing. And people think it's beautiful and this guy marries her and they go through the whole – marriage or whatever. And he never asked because it's so beautiful. And then he's like, oh, well, I think either she dies or yeah, I think she dies. And then it's like, oh, well, we want to, so they take the ribbon off and then her head falls off. Like it was holding her head (laughs) onto her body. And so this is a a direct quote I'm going to read now from a kid when they ask like, hey, what do you, what did you think about that story? Because of course the kids scream out every time you read it and you get to the end and it's like, well, then her head fell off and kids are like, ah, her head fell off. (laughs) So this kid said, Chris, I think of some seven year old, he's like, I like this book because it is scary and it is about a girl that took a ribbon off of her neck and the head fell off of her neck. This is a good book for children. My favorite part is when her head fell off. This is my favorite part because it is exciting. I felt scared when I read this book. I recommend this book to people who like scary books and funny books. It's scary and funny. Yeah. He sounds untraumatized. Well, and it's because it's it's exciting. You (laughs) know, it's 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 shocking. Absolutely. And there are things that our kids are having to reckon with life. Your parents get divorced. That's shocking. Yeah. It's also really scary. But it's not the same as somebody's head falling off. Right, right. And when is that actually going to happen to a kid ever? But I do want to talk also about how, because we mentioned the artwork and how it ties into the stories themselves. There are also, what I didn't realize about this book, he devotes probably a tenth of each of the books in the back entirely to the history of the stories, the research that he did going into them. Because all of these what? are based on old folklore oh my gosh, and old no tales. Way. Yeah. Seriously. And so it's all like bibliography in the back and how he transmuted them into other things or what the lineage is of these kinds of stories. Are. That's incredible. That's what I want to hear about. Yeah. So there's. So we'll just go into some of the stories. Which like there's the the, yeah, yeah, the famous yeah. one is the first one in the first book called the Big Toe. Yeah. And I know that that is that they is updated in the movie. Yep. Absolutely. Into the movie. So that's a, a famous story that has a lineage of stealing something from the dead that doesn't belong and it has to be returned to yeah. atone. And so the original story is it doesn't really make any sense. It's really weird. This kid is just shoveling in the dirt as little kids do. They, you know they're just milling around in the dirt and he pulls out this big toe. 
in the dirt, mm-hmm. clearly, mm-hmm. you know, oh, there's a corpse underneath or whatever. So he takes it and his mom is, and he's like, what do we do with this? And his mom's like, let's cook it and put it in a stew. And so then they do. And then he goes to bed and he hears, oh, the big toe, the big toe, this voice, where is it? Where's yeah, my big yeah, toe? Yeah. And then it's this creepy toeless woman that runs up and she's like, you have it. And then the story just ends. But it came from an old Brothers Grimm story oh, okay. that's very similar from the 1800s. And just so people know, those are the dudes that wrote Cinderella, Hansel and Gretel, Rapunzel, Snow White, mm-hmm. which are also, you can realize, are kind of like fairy tale fables. A future episode, I'm sure. Yeah. But they're also a little bit horrifying if you go back and look Definitely. at the original ones. They're Definitely. not the cutesy Disney version, so they do have an element of terror as well for kids and adults. But then that story, like I said, of taking something that doesn't belong to you gets updated throughout history. Right. And so Mark Twain actually had a version of this story called The Golden Arm, which mm. is a bit more of a moral about greed. So it's this guy who has this arm made of gold, and then when he dies, somebody digs him up to take it to make money, and then oh, that yeah. guy comes back from the dead and tries to grab him. But Mark Twain would use this when he'd go on tour for his speaking and whatnot, and would use it to teach people how to tell a story, very similar to what Alvin Schwartz does in this book, where he's yeah, like, yeah. and then you jump at your audience. And I'll post a link to an article of Mark Twain's specific words. If he's like, this is how you say it. You look for somebody in the audience to do this. This is how the story goes. And then at this point, he's like, it always gets a Yelp and it always gets people interested in the rest of what I'm going to (laughs) say. From beyond the grave, yeah. coaching you. Yeah, and you said that in the movie that it is a lot about these other stories and the main characters having exactly. an interest Exactly, so in... I can take you through this story and how they've changed this to fit this in. So mm-hmm. a pot of stew appears in one of the main characters' fridges, and he's on the phone with his parents, and, and who through conversation you immediately know are away for the night, and it was unexpected. You know, they're just like to talking about the routine tonight. Yeah. And he see, well, I'm just going to eat the stew in here. And then you just hear like, I don't know, somebody made it, you know. And yeah. And as the audience, I'm like, not even like, I'm, I haven't clicked that this is the big toe one yet. I'm not yeah, really yeah, yeah. thinking any of that yet. He gets called by the other main characters on the walkie talkie and they're watching the story being written right now and they're screaming at him don't eat anything but he can't hear because there's a thunderstorm or something outside Mm -hmm. but it's a slow realization while he's talking to them on the walkie-talkie for him realizing that what they're saying is playing out in real life out in front of him um and so they're reading as it's being written Mm -hmm. and you're going to hear this voice and then it all gets you know yeah so they they do a really good job of adjusting the story to make it fit but then keeping all of really what is inherent about the story intact. Yeah. Um, and they did a great job of, of recreating the uh, the ghoul in this fashion, too. They go out of their way to try and recreate these original pieces of artwork as real characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty fascinating to see, actually. Yeah. I like I, – I was just fascinated how when I flipped through and then I got to the end and I was like, oh, there's a whole – other portion of this book that's like, oh, now I can look back and see, okay, well, the story where he was talking about the scarecrow is comes from this and this and this and comes from this East, awesome. you know, Eastern Appalachian, West Virginian, yeah. I you know, go back story and, and that kind yeah, of thing. That's incredible. But real quick, that because uh, yeah. I forgot to, it's not outright depicting child death and murder. Yeah, so that yeah. they're inventive with the way that they actually resolve these things. So the corpse with the big missing the big toes like lumbering through his house and he he eventually sequesters himself into his room not knowing what to do there's no lock on his door it's 1968 yeah. um they do a good job of just trying to neutralize your setting to kind of just put it in anywhere it's a period piece but then they kind of let let it 
fade away a little bit like the yeah it all the period is there but it's it's really well done you're really just focused on the characters and it does a good job of just, it's not london 1700 you <laughs> right, know like, you're like it, cool can't relate to right this. yeah yeah exactly but anyway so kids trapped in in his bedroom and he hides under the bed the door opens but nothing comes in he uh s- slides halfway out from underneath the foot of the bed yeah looks up to see if it's like on top of the bed and then realizes, no, it is just under the bed with him and it drags him what would be to the wall, like at the yeah. at the head of his bed and it just extends into blackness and nothing. And yeah. so his friends that were just on the walkie-talkie with him are on the way there because they know what's happening. They're trying to get there fast enough and they get into the room and they move the bed and they just see scratch marks to the wall. Right. And so in each instance, there's this kind of like mystifying vanishing people Almost. just go yeah, exactly yeah. well that's good there's also stories in this we probably have heard of them and i'll post a link to the trailer also if you know nothing about the movie and you can see some of these instances in the trailer but the, mm-hmm. the classic one is like a spider boil thing and Absolutely, i've heard this yeah. a million times where it's like you just hear this story somebody goes to the amazon jungle or something and gets bitten and then it's this thing that grows on their arm or the their red face or whatever spot. and then a bunch of spiders you know it's a yeah. spider that's and then they all explode and, and crawl everywhere it's gross Ugh. But that one is also, again, in the back of the book saying, well, this comes from these urban, you know, urban myths really? or folk tales, that kind of thing. There's the that. other one of the that's in the book. Maybe it's not in the movie, but the flashing headlights where it's usually mm-hmm. a young girl who's driving and there's somebody. I love this one. There's somebody yeah. who's usually a suspicious person like a lumberjack or a big oafish guy or somebody that looks really scary and they're flashing their headlights at her. And so she speeds up and they speed up and she passes and they pass yeah. and they keep flashing their headlights and then it. she stops and they see the person come out with an ax or a shotgun or some similar thing. And she runs into the house and is like, help, help, help. And the person runs after her and is like, no, there's somebody in your back seat. Yeah. And that's why I was flashing lights every time they come up. And maybe as she's passing, the story gets larger and larger and she sees that, you know, on the news or on the radio, a prison inmate has escaped, that kind of thing. This all comes from these old urban myths. That exact story did get done in Urban Legend. It was an old uh, Mm -hmm. 90s horror film. Yeah. Popular 90s actors at the time. Um, But I remember that sequence vividly. Uh, Mm -hmm. Another, I would say, actually, now that I think about it, Urban Legend kind of pairs it might be a little bit more of the adult version of the scary Mm. stories to tell in the dark because they are taking what are these uh, actual old myths and playing them out in a contextual updated way for the time that was 1998 but Mm -hmm. yeah i hadn't thought about that comparison before but they do that story exactly like that and i think the big thing between the movie and the book as we're talking about these various urban legends and myths and mixing in with the old folk tales that then get updated or he keeps them ambiguous but they're based on old grim rose you know tales is and i think i saw a quote in a review for the movie is like it's training wheels horror done right you give kids just enough and this is the same thing you might have said with the movie where it's just enough that you would feel okay maybe the kid would be a little creeped out but if they're into that taking a middle schooler right to go see this same thing with the book and that's why kids loved it it's like just on their level without being so over the top gratuitous but not so underwhelming this this walked a i have to say it was a really great line where it didn't feel like it was holding back anything it was just contextually correct it never Mm -hmm. felt watered down it never felt like they were playing to a younger audience. It just felt what was necessary for this story. And as a filmmaker, I really like that where I'm not seeing the decisions to get the rating on the board because I know Mm -hmm. they wanted a PG-13 rating, but it's not cut like a PG-13 movie at all. In fact, it's just... 
it's cut for the story. I have to hand it to them on, the, on that manner because it feels really nice. And I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting something a bit cheaper, a bit more just by the numbers. Yeah. You know. Well, and here's something interesting because something that has come out as a movie that some people might have thought is a bit cheaper and a bit more yeah. by the numbers is Goosebumps. Which maybe a lot I more people, seen, right. yeah. a lot more people know that as like the kids horror story right. stuff. So I looked up the history of this, and like I said, the last scary stories three came out in ninety one. Alvin Schwartz died in ninety two. Mm. The first Goosebumps book came out in ninety two. Oh man! So this was after. This is the predecessor to. Oh, Goosebumps. I didn't even realize Goosebumps that. I thought Goosebumps def- was parallel. No, wow. Goosebumps is after. So it's definitely Goosebumps is a lot more tame and a lot more definitely, silly. Yeah. And still a little spooky, but, but I was into those too. Yeah, yeah. R.L. Stein is quoted as saying he didn't even necessarily care as much about the story. He just wanted to get kids to read, and so he thought he was successful in doing that. Because yeah. a lot—that's the criticism of Goosebumps—is like, oh, it's cheap. You know, it's simple. Like it has no artistic merit. Where I think as Alvin Schwartz didn't care as much about getting kids to read, but wanted and came from the old back catalog of stories. Yeah, and wanted, that's what he think, wanted. Think kids classically to care about. about story. Yeah, yeah. So that made me interested as I was looking into Goosebumps was the history of children's horror. Yeah. Because yeah. I just knew about this and then you go into Goosebumps. But I'm like, where where does this What else is it? Yeah, back? right. Yeah. And just horror in general. So going way, way back to the beginning. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> A little history lesson from dear old Taylor. <laughs> uh, works of fiction that were scary were all religious. Yeah. Way back. There was nothing, at least I'm speaking, so just so everybody knows, I'm speaking in the terms of the Western world. I didn't go into all yep. literature of all the world. Copy Byzantine. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. So sorry about that, but it's just what I could find as far as that track. Of Join us next works. week for our six part series on <laughs> horror in the Western In world literature. <laughs> but as far as the Western world, mostly religious. So like Dante's Inferno, Paradise Lost, there was some religious element to it. Yeah. Being yeah, in yes, the seven yes. levels of hell, that kind of thing. And that was in the 1600s. And then we move into plays. So we talked about this in our Hamlet episode, mm-hmm. the Spanish tragedy, which Kid had made before Hamlet. Mm-hmm. And then Hamlet, that had to do with ghosts. But again, religious. Yep. Are they going to hell or purgatory or what have you? Then we go into kind of the Gothic stories. And this comes about in the time of cultural anxiety. Usually these kind of stories come about. Mm-hmm. They give evil their own space. So this is between 1764 to 1840, most literary critics have it as, and you get stories like Frankenstein, which comes out in 1818. Here we go. The Vampire in 1819. Edgar Allan Poe's stuff comes out in the 1830s. This is also when the Brothers Grimm comes out in the 1830s. Hans Christian Andersen in 1835. There's also more female writers in this space, which is interesting. Interesting, yeah. Yeah. Isn't it? And so I looked up, and this is probably the most synonymous or similar to the scary stories to tell in the dark. There's a guy named Heinrich Hoffmann, who's a German guy, clearly. And he wrote a book called Struhlpeter, which came out in 1854. It directly translates to Shaggy Peter, which is the name of the character, the titular character. And it's 10 stories basically of the disastrous consequences of misbehavior of children Mm. designed to be over the top and Mm -hmm. crazy. I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but the cover, and and again, it's got crazy artwork designed to scare the kids. So Struhlpeter, basically he like doesn't want to bathe, doesn't want to clean himself, doesn't want to be maintained as a kid. And his hair grows out super frizzy and his fingernails are really long and he just looks insane. But it's designed to be over the top to scare kids. Similarly, there's like 
a kid who sucks his thumb and won't stop doing that. And so there's a, a tailor who cuts his thumb off or this kid is making fun wow, of, yeah. these kids are making fun of a darker skinned boy. So they get dunked in ink and are completely oh dark or this girl who's playing with matches and then ignites herself on fire. Wow. Just like over the top. And kids realize that even in 1850, you know, like yeah. that's not going to happen to them right. actually, but it's, it was scary and spooky yeah. and a bit silly and also comes with over the top artwork yeah. designed to scare them. Uh, that sounds so similar to scary yeah, stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, an anthology of short stories absolutely. for kids. Yeah. And then, of course, another parallel that I found that was interesting, Mark Twain wrote a U.S. version of it. Here we go. It was around in the 1900s. <laughs> it all comes full circle. <laughs> so then after that, there's these books called Penny Dreadfuls, which you might have heard that uh, terminology yes. before. And they were small books that had little scary stories. This is where Sweeney Todd came about. Okay. And then there was another famous character called Varney the Vampire. And these were not intentionally necessarily aimed at kids, but they were huge with with youths of the time mm-hmm. in the mid-1800s in the Industrial Revolution and everything because they were getting passed around. It was also, they were a penny, but even still you couldn't afford them, so it would get passed from kid to kid gotcha. yeah. going around. Interesting, mm-hmm. wow. So now we're moving into the late 1800s. We've got Dracula in 1897, mm. and uh, <laughs> also around this time, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mm. But the interesting thing about this, now we're seeing where the evil is more internalized, mm-hmm. right? As opposed mm-hmm. to being this gothic force. It's more deceiving. Mm-hmm. It's it's more paranoid now. Yeah. And, yep. and within. So the big change that happens here is in 1910, there was a movie version of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And this is really bringing horror to the forefront, to the less literate people. And also, instead of it being in your imagination, there is the physical yes, yes, yeah. movie There's behind the visual, it. Yeah. So then we're going into the US, since that's where we are. And we've got this uh, series called Weird Tales, which came about in 1923. And that tided people over in the Great Depression, oh, okay. as well as these horror-themed radio shows, you know, like Lights Out, like your impression. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. that kind of stuff kept people tided over in times of, yeah. of great financial duress. We've got World War II that comes in, and horror was not popular in this time because it was real. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was on absolutely. the freaking world stage. And the world is horrific. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, you don't need that escape in that moment or a parallel to be like, How well, bad can things get? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're kind of in it. Right well, I'm handling but, a lot right now. <laughs> yeah. But it resurged because in 1954, I Am Legend came out oh, by Richard yeah. Matheson. And I, forgot. 59- I always forget how early that is. Yeah. My gosh. Yeah. And then also we had uh, Ed Gein, who inspired Psycho in mm-hmm. 59. Oh, yeah. Don't like get me seeing... started on Ed Gein. <laughs> we're inspired into the real world. And then Talking we have the Texas cold- Chainsaw later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we see more inspirations. Like I said, like the we're seeing, oh, well, the world is... We're like, we yeah. don't need these vampires and things like that. Yes. But then the Cold War comes about, and we have more external threats. Mm-hmm. So we have Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, and Stephen King coming about in the 70s. Uh, where the evil is still sitting in time with of actual human statues. beings. Right. <laughs> so that, I, I know that didn't necessarily all meld into children's stories, but then, like I said, in the 80s, we have this. Yeah. Which is a scary story, and then Goosebumps. Definitely. And then, Very, right there, yeah. parallel with Goosebumps, I'm thinking there's, so it was a Nickelodeon show, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Mm-hmm. For kids. Right after that. That's an interesting one, too, which I think they're also making into a movie right now. So certainly everything's being made into a movie. Mm, another, another future episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's kind of the history then, if, you were, if one was interested in where we get to getting kids to read this. Because a lot of that stuff is not for kids, but we even see like even with the Struel Peter as old as yeah. the 1850s. Yes. Kids do need 
about a little bit of a shock to know yeah. what is possible before they come up on that line. Mm-hmm. Um, children don't know. We have to teach them, and it can't every time be by mistake mm-hmm. because sometimes mistakes you can't fix. You know, some you know, like you yeah. know, so it's just, there's a balance there. But it's an interesting thing. Like at some point, you do need to at some level kind of shock a child to show them what is possible so that it doesn't get to that point whatever the whatever the moral may be and like, it's I'm an interesting a, idea yeah i'm not a horror fan and right. like there are some people like you obviously gravitate towards it more than i do mm-hmm. you should still be exposed like get a taste of it mm-hmm. you don't have to love scary stories right, to tell right. in the dark as a kid but you should be told spooky stories at a you know slumber party right when you're in middle school or the next time you go camping mm-hmm. somebody you know like yeah If nothing for the historical element of saying like, hey, these are stories that got passed down. Definitely. And there's a – you get a broader knowledge of literature and history and saying like we all have dealt with these fears. Hey, this story about the big toe, that came from the 1800s. That's so cool. People are still worried about what happens after you die. See, I want this – copy that you have is this the omni but it has all yeah, three of them in it all three of them, taylor yeah. has the hardback here with every it has it all in one thing i really now want this thing because i i really just kind of i almost want to keep it in my car just for any time yeah. of like going or like a travel book like i feel like yeah well it, we will it, have it feels like a communal thing like it feels like i want this and i want a deck of cards you know like in the bag <laughs> anytime to yeah. go. you know you're doing a bonfire on the beach or something anywhere yeah. you know anytime there's you know you're you have downtime and and there's not an immediate distraction and you have to yeah. think of something else to do and you, you know also I, if you're musically inclined i didn't mention ooh, yes. this but there's uh little songs that he's come up with that are based on old songs as well kind of spooky songs and it's got the through line and melody notation like the first bar mm-hmm. so you could play if you if you know how to read music i was listening there's an audiobook version that uh-huh. actually has somebody an Singing. old man yeah. <laughs> cre- you know cre- uh, creepily do the the hearse song yeah, which i yeah. remembered vividly from my childhood it's not strictly short stories it's it's how a, to tell a story and have a jump scare little poems little songs it's a whole yeah what was behind this story here instead of a story this is just a song that's really gruesome about our, why you should not laugh at hearses going by <laughs> and 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 that was a i have to say it taught me that lesson as a child like that's where i became like mm-hmm. oh so a hearse means this and i one day might do that and that that, you know like teaching a respect there and understand like i remember being five years old and Mm -hmm. and and it clicking what this song was really saying to me and i've never forgotten and that's how i learned you know when i see a hearse going down the road like a a a funeral um procession exactly a funeral procession going by it's like i i think of this book almost every time now and i think about how i better not smirk that's the that's the truth (laughs) I didn't read it, so I smirk all the time. <laughs> then I'm going to be in a hearse, you know? I was going to say, if, if you did, dear listener, want this book as Evan wants it so badly, we do, do have, as a shameless promo, we do have a link in the show notes where you can buy the book from a local independent bookstore. Yeah, you help your local independent bookstores. It helps out the show as well. It's called Indie Bound. Look for it in the show notes. But that'll it's super be in cool. There. I love the I love the thing. I like because I don't want to buy. I don't want to buy from Amazon. I don't want to buy from Walmart. I don't want to buy from Target. Like I'm, yeah, I'm growing really fond of local businesses, mom and pop places, and this is a community that connects all independent bookstores across the country and it's just invaluable it's wonderful do you have another announcement for us check out our hilarious instagram that is the place for the hot memes the lulls get in contact with us that's where we're gonna you're gonna find out when the next show is 
all that kind of stuff. Slide into Hit the it DMs. Yeah. It's at alliteratepod on Instagram. Perfect. Really love if you follow us. It was a blast. I was spooked. I was spooked. This was a spooky one. I loved it. Go out there, stay spooky, y'all. Thanks, guys. <laughs>